0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning. My name is Dave. It is wonderful to be here as always. Uh, I'm sure most of you are excited about the Packers win yesterday, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not from around here, so I'm not a Packers fan. I've never rooted more for the Packers than yesterday because I couldn't imagine having to deliver a sermon with everybody just being like down and out because of a Packers loss the day before. So I was praying for you guys. I'm happy that we can all be here and our spirits be a little uplifted. The call had come out of nowhere. They hadn't done anything. They didn't win a competition. They didn't even enter into a raffle. Yet in Portugal in 2001, 70 complete strangers each received a phone call informing them that they were inheriting 25,000 euros. Now, most of them were utterly shocked and even thought that this was a scam. As it turns out, this was no scam. Thirteen years earlier, Luis Carlos, a wealthy aristocrat, wrote his will. Not having many friends, having no family, he finally found out what to do with his estate. One day, he just got out a phone book, picked 70 people randomly from that phone book. And the day that he died, they were all informed, you are the recipients of his inheritance. Now, I imagine that these recipients of this estate, when they first got the phone call, they were asking again and again, wait, how did I receive this? And once they had actually understood that they were receiving, indeed, this 25,000 euros, the next question logically is, well, what am I going to do with it? Now, we uh, don't get a divided estate from God, but we do understand that God is a God who gives blessings. Now, the word blessing can be very charged for us, right? We've, we've seen and heard its abuse mainly in pulpits. We, we've seen it cheapened on social media, hashtag blessed. For, for some of us, the word can actually be a little offensive, right? We, we look at our lives and we say, well, I guess God's blessings for the other half of Christians, the haves and have nots. And for yet again, many of us, the word is just uncomfortable. It makes us feel weird because we don't fully understand it. And we're not sure what it means or how it works, so we rather just avoid this idea of blessing. And whether or not we think about it, at the same time, deep down, all of us are wanting it. We all look for blessing in our lives. And we ask those same questions that those recipients would have asked. How can I get it, and what am I to do with it? As we look at Genesis 48 this morning, we're going to see that God has designed and restored us to delight in his blessing. So if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 48, it will also be on the screen. We'll be looking at the first few verses getting going. Follow along with me. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, Israel being Jacob, summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession." And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Badan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on her way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. Now, if you've been following along with us uh, in, our, in our study of Joseph and in our study of Genesis, it, it's not surprising to see this idea of blessing coming up once again. It's indeed a main and central theme of Genesis. But let's be clear about what blessing is and what blessing isn't. What we see that blessing is, it is the favor of God which results in our good and ultimately in our satisfaction in him. Blessing is always rightfully understood as coming from God. He is the source of blessing, and blessing is only fully experienced in relationship with Him. That is one of the most important parts of understanding blessing in the Bible. It is always, every single time in the context of relationship. And in fact, we see this, this favor, this God's blessing of people, of humanity, from the very get-go. In Genesis 1, He creates humanity, creates Adam and Eve, and what is the first thing he does? He blesses them. This is his design from the beginning. He blesses humanity that they might enjoy him and find satisfaction in him and in his creation. That we might indeed marvel at the beauty of a sunset. That, that we would look at the fruits of our labor and find purpose and satisfaction. Of course, there is the, the delight that we can have in the richness of relationships with others. This is God's design for us in creations. We are recipients of his blessing, but not only are we created as recipients, we also see in Genesis one and two that since we are created in God's image, we are also conduits of blessing, being image bearers. Uh, Adam and Eve, they are they are commissioned to go out into the world to multiply and fill the world, and in essence, what they are doing is they are spreading God's blessing throughout creation. Sadly, as we know in, in Genesis three, Adam and Eve sin; they they turn away from God. They're exiled from the garden. This relationship God is severed. And then, as we look at the other parts of early in Genesis, Genesis four through eleven, we see that now that uh, man and woman are no longer recipients of blessing, but recipients of curse, they too are now no longer conduits of blessing. Instead, they're conduits of this curse. Genesis 4 and 11, things get awful really quick. Sin just spreads like wildfire through this world. Murder, envy, strife, violence, adultery, it all happens. God's good intention to bless humanity seems utterly lost. And then we come to Genesis 12. Now, I feel like we often go to Genesis 12 here, but let me just remind us that Genesis 12 is a key and foundational passage in Scripture, so much so that the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 refers to Genesis 12 as God announcing the gospel in advance. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3, let's look at it quickly. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, sorry, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what we see here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, this promise to Abraham is that God is now going to set in motion his plan of redemption for humanity. He is going to reverse this curse of sin so that he can restore humanity to blessing. And he's gonna do it through Abraham and ultimately this promise of a descendant who becomes Jesus Christ. And what does Paul tell us about Jesus Christ in Galatians 3? That he hangs on a a cross taking the curse so that all of us who put our faith in him can gain and be recipients of the blessing. This is God's intention for you at creation, and this is God's intention for you in redemption, that you would be a recipient of his blessing, the favor of God which provides your good and your satisfaction in him. Too often we fall into this trap of thinking that somehow our joy and God's design for our lives are in opposition to one another, right? That, that my desires and God's glory, those are at odds. But what we see is that God actually desires our joy even more than we do. God wants us to be in a relationship with him and to experience the fullness of joy that he has created us in this world for. Uh, The Westminster Catechism written in the 17th century sums it up this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper, a modern theologian, famously put it another way. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. this, This idea that God is against our joy, that he's come to kill our fun, is a gross misrepresentation of who he is. He has designed life in a certain way that if we are to embrace and live in his design, it will actually produce the most joy in our hearts. God has designed and restored us to delight in his blessing. All right, now with that backdrop, let's return to Genesis 48. I know that was a long introduction, but thanks for sticking with me. Jacob, Joseph's father, is dying. He sets up this plan to adopt Joseph's two oldest sons. So they will become equal inheritors with uh, uh, Jacob's 11 other sons. But before we look at that, I want to look at these two instances that Jacob refers to. He refers first to God's blessing of him. And then second, he refers to the death of his wife, Rachel. Now, what's interesting, if we look back in Genesis 35, these two instances are mentioned, and they happen one right after the other. So you have God's blessing, and specifically God's blessing for descendants, and then right after it, you have Jacob losing his beloved wife. And it seems weird, doesn't it? Like this blessing, and then this losing of his wife. I mean, how do we make sense of that? And in one sense, we can say that Jacob's life is marked by blessing. And on the other hand, we can say that it is marred by pain. And certainly, we can say that about our own lives as well. There is this tension of how do we hold God's blessing, God's goodness, God's intention for us, and the pain we experience in a Genesis 3 world. I've thought a lot about this the past few days. To be honest, this has been one of those passages that, that really just eats at you. Trying to hold the, the truth of God's word and trying to reconcile and make sense of it in my life and ours. I mean, I'm familiar not with all, but a lot of the stories in this room. I, I, I know of the pain that has devastated a lot of you. The horrific tragedy, the accidents that have left some of you with chronic pain. Disease, loss of loved ones, constant financial stress, children who have walked away from the Lord, infidelity, betrayal, this, this never-seeming ending cycle of shame and depression and addiction, this unrelenting anxiety, infertility, the, the unfulfilled desire for a spouse, lack of career opportunities. These are things that we all experience in, in some season of our lives, in some areas of our lives, when we think of God's blessing, it actually seems quite foreign to us, doesn't it? And if we were honest, we wouldn't describe our lives or parts of our lives in any way, shape, or form as enjoying the goodness and the satisfaction that he provides for us. So cautiously, without saying that this is going to be exhaustive and all-encompassing answer, I think there are three insights that we can get from Jacob's reflection on his deathbed. And I think if, if we are to listen to the wisdom in Jacob's reflection that we might learn just a little bit better on how to navigate this tension. So I wanna pose these three uh, insights in the forms of questions. First, how do we receive God's blessing? Second, how do we experience God's blessing in the midst of pain? And, and finally, third, what are we to do with blessing when we have it? So first, how do we receive God's blessing? All right, if you remember Jacob's story his whole life is bent on getting blessing. This is his mission, right? And, and Jacob, when he's born, he's the youngest of twins, and his name means grasp the heel. And it, it's, it's, it's something like we would say that he was pulling your leg. It, it literally could be translated deceiver. Jacob's name, his identity, is deceiver. And obsessed to gain blessing, what does Jacob do? He lies about who he is. He makes this scheme to trick his father into giving him a blessing, a blessing that was meant for his older brother Esau. Now, when Esau finds out he's furious, and understandably so, his wrath is so great that Jacob has to flee his homeland to avoid the the wrath of his brother. He ends up going to his uncle Laban's. There he meets Rachel, one of Laban's daughters. He falls in love immediately. And Laban says, I'll tell you what, if you work for me for seven years, then I'll give you my daughter. So Jacob works for seven years for Laban. And then Laban tricks him and gives him his eldest daughter, Leah. And Jacob, the deceiver, says to Laban, why have you deceived me? And Laban says, what was I gonna do? I can't have my youngest daughter married before my oldest. So he says, I'll tell you what, if you work for me for another seven years... You can then marry Rachel. Jacob works another seven years. The years go by. Jacob still hasn't returned home. He's still at odds with his brothers. His brother's wrath is still at the max. Jacob's two wives, they're always competing with one another, seeking his affection, so much so that they have Jacob sleep with each of their handmaids so that he can, uh, or that they can, produce more children for him and hopefully earn more of his affection. Imagine that life. And and Jacob and Laban, they're still constantly battling with each other. There's continual strife. So in one sense, we can look at Jacob's life because he has this material blessing and, and see that God has indeed blessed him. You look at his relationship with his brother, his uncle, his wives, this man's life is a train wreck. It's an absolute mess. And it started, it went on this trajectory when he lived out his identity as that deceiver, chasing after blessing. Eventually, his relationship with Laban gets so bad that he decides, you know what? I'm gonna roll the dice and go home and see what my brother will do to me. I can't stand living with Laban anymore. I'll see if Esau has cooled off. So he gets all of his people, his family, his possessions. He starts going back home and he sends wave after wave of possession and peoples to Esau, hoping to ease his anger. Eventually, he sends all of them away, so he's just left by himself. And then this man encounters him, this man that wrestles him. And and he says that this is God later in the passage, so we know that this man is God. But let's pick it up in Genesis 32. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The day has come, the the man is trying to get out of there, God wants to leave, and Jacob was holding on for dear life. And he is saying that I have tried to gain blessing in every other way, my life has not had one bit of blessing, it just seems like this complete mess, I am not going to let true blessing get away from me this time. Returning to verse 27. And he, being the man, being God, said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You can almost hear God's reply Jacob screaming, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God just saying, Okay, that, that's fair, Jacob. I, I just have one question for you. Do you remember that time that you asked somebody else for blessing all those years ago? You remember that thing with your father? Here's my question for you, Jacob. What's your name? In that moment, Jacob is brought back to this action, to this time that he lived out his identity as the deceiver in the train wreck, the trajectory of his life that that sent him on. The guilt and the shame, it just all falls upon him. And he's finally broken. And he finally just comes out and he says it. My name's Jacob. I'm the liar, I'm the deceiver. And here is the blessing of God. We offer him our true identity, our true name, our brokenness, our sin. And how does God respond? He says no, that was your name, no more. I'm gonna give you a new name, new identity. I'm gonna take that sin from you. It's the wisdom that we get from Jacob's life, how we are to receive God's blessing. First and foremost, God is after our hearts. It's his desire to restore your soul to him and that as we come to the cross, as we confess who we are in our sin, God takes that, put on Jesus, and we get this new identity in Christ, beloved sons and daughters, completely restored and clean. This is God's blessing, a repaired relationship with him and a restored identity in Christ. Perhaps you've put your faith in Christ, yet this idea of blessing in this way actually seems very foreign to how you have lived, to what your life looks like this week. The idea of saying that you are enjoying and satisfied with your relationship with God, with your life, is laughable. You actually take offense when you hear that, that somebody could live such a way. And, and perhaps rather than living in this new identity, you've just been living in the old one, been living out of our Jacobness, so to speak. And, and, and you think that God is upset with you because you're living in sin, and therefore he's punishing you and he's withdrawing from you, that he's withholding reward in your life because you're misbehaving. In actuality, what is happening is you are disconnecting yourself from God, neglecting this relationship, living not in your new identity but out of your old one, and you aren't experiencing the blessing that comes with being in communion with God, being in a repaired relationship with God and living in a restored identity. Author Jay Stringer puts it this way. I think this is wonderful. You do not wither and rot because of your sin, You wither in sin because you are disconnected from the vine. And perhaps like Jacob, it's been years of you running like this. You and God are doing this dance. I warn you, God is not into quick fixes. There will be nights of wrestling. But what God is into, and I promise you this, he's into true, permanent, and lasting change. He is into heart-level transformation. I mean, what could be more permanent and lasting and changing than a new name, than a core name identity being switched? Let's glean this wisdom from Jacob of where true blessing is found, that it is recognized in our relationship with him and a restored identity. Because God has designed us, and he restores us, to be recipients of his blessing. Second question. How do we experience God's blessing in the midst of life's pains? Now, it isn't as if after this point in Jacob's life it all goes smoothly, right? Uh, It's not like, okay, he's had this blessing from God and now the rest of his life is a piece of cake. It's actually quite the opposite when you stop and think about it. I mean, Jacob, right, he he has this beloved son, Joseph, who his brothers kill or sell, but they tell him that they killed him. So he has the pain of a loss of a son and even though this son is alive, for 20 years he grieves. And for 20 years he misses out on seeing this son grow. He, he then has this, this uh, global catastrophe, this famine that he lives through. Something that we can understand in these days of living through something like that. In some sense, if you look at Jacob's life, it's marred with pain. So much so that in the previous chapter, do you remember how he described his life to Pharaoh? He says it was filled with evil. He says, the days have been unpleasant. And yet, if we look down a little further in our passage, we see Jacob describing God in this way, looking at verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Jacob, in the midst of pain, looking back, is able to describe God as his shepherd, that he was guiding him, And his redeemer, that he was delivering him for evil. So on one hand, Jacob has this perspective, right? He does say, my life has been unpleasant, filled with evil, marred with pain. And on the other hand, he holds that God has been present and good. Now, it's not that he always responds this way, right? In the moment, Jacob doesn't always say this exact thing. Remember when he thinks that Joseph is dead, he says he's in such despair that he says, well, his life is dead as well. And and, and this perspective, despite all the horrific things that have happened in his life, is is the idea that God is and has been present. It, It reminds me of Psalm 23. I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, yet you are with me. Now, Jacob doesn't whitewash the pain of his life just by saying that God's been present with him. Right? He's not like, hey, God's been present with me, and so it's all good. He, he doesn't use cheap, spiritual, trite words. Right? He, he, he doesn't just dismiss the pain of living in a Genesis 3 world. And I don't think we should either. I don't think it's actually helpful for us in cultivating this perspective of God's intimate presence in our life if we just pretend that life doesn't hurt. I, I think like most things in faith, that's reconciled of God's goodness and blessing with our personal pain is a journey. There are no shortcuts, we don't arrive at any answers overnight. And and we can look back at certain things in our life and, and we can see how God was working through them, right? We can look back at some of those hard seasons and see the good that God brought out of it, see how God formed us in that time. And yet there are other pains in our life that we can't see any good that's come from it. And if we're honest, we don't think we ever will. And you know what? Maybe on this side of eternity we won't. I don't think some things are meant to be resolved on this side of eternity. Either way, if we don't deal with our past and our suffering, things that we might endure daily, things that happened in our past, there's this bitterness that can take root in our hearts, and it will continue to have hold on us. We often have to go back in order to move forward, to see God's presence with us in the journey even if we weren't able to see it at the moment. Two books that I highly recommend for for trying to uh, go on this journey of understanding God's presence with us in pain and and how he heals us in the present. First book, Tim Keller's Walking Through Pain and Suffering with God. High recommend. Second book, Pete Scazzario, an Italian, so you gotta love him. Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Both wonderful tools, both uh, uh, high recommends. And as we begin to walk through our pain, as we begin to acknowledge it, as we begin to bring it before the Lord, as we get, begin to show our wounds to our trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, what we're allowing is the truth of the gospel to speak into that, to that new identity to speak into that. And while that suffering might not totally be removed, that blessing that you're hoping for might not actually come, slowly but surely, the chains of pain are removed, The bitterness, sadness, anger, resentment, loneliness, fear that have kept us in bondage for too long, one by one, the chains are removed. And in the process, we then are able to experience and enjoy God's blessing that he has bestowed on us. So an example from my life, I'm 32 single uh, would love to, to be married. This is not in any way me asking you to set me up with your niece. I'm sure she's wonderful. Um, 32 and single. would love to be married. would love to have a family, all that jazz. Uh, 32 is not particularly old in our tribe. It's a little old uh, than most people who, who get married. And I can very easily get on this train of thought and look at my singleness, look at this desire, this unfulfilled blessing, and just let it take me on a ride. Right? Let it be the only lens that I look at my life through. And I can let that completely rob me of finding any good or satisfaction in the Lord or the things that he has blessed me with. I can let that be the determining factor on how I view myself, how I view God. Right? That is, that is being stuck in that pain. Or I can look at my singleness, look at a healthy desire for marriage, not dismiss at times the pain of loneliness, and still say that God is good, and still look at the ways that God has blessed me, particularly in relationships, not a relationship that I have desired in marriage, but in other relationships, I can look at my life and say, look at the blessing that God has bestowed on me, that my relational needs season after season have been met. That despite not having this one blessing, I still can look at my life as a recipient of blessing from God. This perspective of God's presence and hand in our life, despite life not going as planned, I think one of the real key factors in, in helping us grow in this perspective is age. And, you know, like I said, 32, not super old, 32, not super young. But I was, I was looking for some more wisdom. I was having trouble with this sermon. So I called one of my favorite gray-haired saints, Greg Bolt. Uh, he wasn't supposed to be here this morning, and now he is, so <laughs> he just heard that. I was like, man, you got 30 years on me. Give me insight. Give me perspective as you look back at your life, at the life of others. How you have navigated God's blessing in our lives, and yet the idea that we still live in a Genesis 3 world that is marred with pain. And for those of you that are younger, lean on the older, wiser saints that have gone before us. Ask them to a coffee, get some perspective of how they have navigated life's wilderness. For those of you that are older, don't hold on to your perspective and experience. Share that with the rest of us, allow us to be enriched by the wisdom that you have picked up through the years. For those of you like me that are somewhat in the middle, don't neglect either the people behind us or the people above us. Make sure to connect with people and looking for how can I learn from others' experience and how can I help others that I am a slightly further ahead of. Because God has re- designed us and he has restored us to be recipients of his blessing. As we continue in our story, we're gonna see What exactly is it we're going to do with our blessing? So for the sake of time, I'll summarize some of this passage. Joseph brings his two sons. Uh, They go through the procedures and the rituals of that day for adoption. And in verse 15 and 16, Jacob blesses Joseph and his sons. So it's pretty simple what we are to do as recipients of God's blessing. We're to take that and we're to be conduits of God's blessing. This is how we were designed back in Genesis 1 and 2, to be recipients and conduits. And this is how God has restored us, not just to be recipients, but to also be conduits. And and this can look like so many different things. Uh, I mean, I think sometimes we try and make it bigger than it needs to be, like, oh, if I wanna, you know, be a conduit of blessing, I gotta buy somebody a car. If you can provide somebody a car who really needs it, great, but it can be so much, like, smaller. Those little moments that just matter in life, right? Like we live somewhat in a monotonous world, and and we can't just expect every blessing that we are trying to give somebody to be this huge thing. There is plenty of blessing to be found in our day-to-day as we simply are intentional about saying kind things to somebody, about picking our, our friends and saying, here's what I see in you, and here's how you've blessed me. It can be as simple as doing the dishes. So when your roommate comes home, they come home to a clean sink. Those little acts of service are just us being conduits of blessing. But there are two things, two aspects about being conduits of blessing that I want us to notice, picking it back up in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, "'Not this way, my father,'' Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring uh, shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day. First aspect about being a conduit, not always going to look like we want it to, right? We don't get to pick and choose. Joseph here is saying, no, 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 you're giving your right hand, the dominant hand, the prioritized hand, to the younger. Jacob, father, it should be going to the older, right? And we do the same thing. We see God trying to use us to bless somebody else, to be a conduit of blessing, and we're like, God, can you just move your hand over to this person instead? Like, that person is difficult. That person's annoying. That person just comes from a totally different background. I don't know how to engage with them. Or perhaps like, I've tried before with that person and they just aren't very receptive. Let us not make the mistake of picking and choosing who will be a conduit to of God's blessing. Specifically when he is prompting us towards somebody Let's not pick and choose those people that are always easy or that are favored. Because one thing we've certainly seen in Genesis time and time again is that the recipients of God's blessing are often the underdogs, often the outcast, often the person that you would not expect. They're often very much like us. And so as we go being conduits of blessing, let us not pick and choose who we are to be a blessing to. Second thing about being a conduit that we see, it's, it's often generational. We see this generational passing of blessing here. I, I can't help but think about the Epicosians who have come before us. Right, the, the people that we're greeting on the day that we first came in. And, and they simply smiled and wished us a good morning. It just made us a little bit more at ease about taking a seat in here. I can't think, uh, help but think about those who have blessed us as small group leaders inviting us into their homes, investing in us that we might grow in our own faith, that we might find community as we first got here. And of course there are those that sacrificed in giving, specifically for this building almost 10 years ago, that we could purchase it and restore it and have a place for all of us who weren't even a part of Epicos yet to come and find community and grow in faith and follow Jesus a little bit more closely. I'm thankful that the Epicosians that have come before us did not only see themselves as recipients of God's blessing, but as conduits as well. What will the Epicosians who come after us say about us? Will they say that we have invested in the generation after? Will we rise to that call not simply to be recipients of God's blessing, but also to be conduits? And to be honest with you, while being a conduit is focused on the other, if you really want to enjoy God's blessing, you'll step into being a conduit. Because this is how you were designed. You were not just designed to be a recipient, you were designed to be a conduit. If you want to live a life of purpose and meaning in faith, the best way to do it is to recognize I'm not only a recipient of blessing, I'm also a conduit. God has designed and restored us to be conduits of his blessing. Lastly, we see the final element of blessing, that we are to be looking forward to God's future blessing. Picking it up in verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Once again, Frank talked about this last week. Uh, we see Jacob's eyes are looking forward, right? He is, he's looking past temporary blessings, and, and now he's looking to this promised land, to this future. And we are to do the same, to look to this future eternal blessing that God has for us. I mean, I imagine that this idea of looking forward to God's eternal blessing sustained Jacob through a lot of those instances when his life was marred with pain, that he was looking to a future home, And I don't know what your hope for is in this life, what blessing you are hoping to experience in this life. It is probably a very good thing. For some of us, that will come to fruition. For some of us, it won't. For some of us, it will come to fruition and it will be everything we wanted. And for some of us, it will come to fruition and be slightly disappointing. Whatever it is, I can 100% guarantee you it will fade, it will not last in eternity we have to be people that have our eyes and our hearts locked on eternal blessing. We get to experience, be recipients of God's good blessing in this life, but ultimately, our home is not this one. God has designed and restored us for an eternal blessing. As I've wrestled with this passage this week, and you know how God has created us for blessing, not wanting to cheapen it, not wanting to commercialize it, not wanting to diminish the pain that we all have of living in a Genesis 3 world. As I've been wrestling and thinking through all these things, I've also thought a lot about sneezing. I've made this commitment over the next week when it comes to sneezing. When I sneeze, I'm gonna remind myself that I am a recipient of God's blessing. When I've been living in that old identity, I will remind myself when I sneeze that God has prepared my relationship with him. He has restored my identity. I'm indeed a recipient of his blessing. On that inevitable second sneeze, I'm gonna pick something from that day. Something small but something good. The enjoyment of his creation. The feeling of the sun on your skin during a cold day. Catching some third eye blind on the radio. The satisfaction of a good meal. The euphoria of laughter with friends as I'm playing cards. The delight of a conversation with a close friend. Of feeling intimacy and connection. I will pick something small for my day on that second sneeze. don't I will remind myself that I am a recipient of God's blessing. When someone else sneezes, I'm gonna flip it. I will remind myself that I am not just a recipient of God's blessing, I am also to be a conduit. And not only am I gonna remind myself when this party somehow sneezes during a pandemic in public, I'm not just gonna remind myself that I'm a conduit, but I am gonna think of this individual and decide how I can actually bless them in that day. What are are some words that I can say to them? What is some way I can meet a need? What is some little way that I can perhaps serve them? I will remind myself that I am a conduit of God's blessing. This is my plan for this week, and I would like you to do the same. As you are in your home, as you're at work, as you're in the grocery store with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, I would like you to listen to sneezes. And as you hear them, your own and others, be reminded of the truth of Genesis 48. God has designed us and he has restored us to delight in his blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not removed from our lives, that it doesn't live in some fantasy land, that it very much deals with the experiences of this life the trials and the joys, the pains and the blessings. Father, I pray for us as an individual and as a congregation, that we would be men and women that understand that we are recipients of your good blessings, that through Jesus Christ, that our relationship can be restored with you. I pray for those of us that need to wrestle with you over the coming days and weeks, Lord, that you'd give us courage and strength. And I pray that as we are going about our days and our lives that we will be aware of those around us, seeing their needs, thinking about how we can be a conduit of your blessing to them. Pray all this in your son's name, amen.